You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You know, we pride ourselves on this show for not being hot take artists and, you know, for coming in with measured, balanced reactions. That's why it's important to remind everybody it's only one week into the NFL season. So, you know, when teams like my beloved Raiders don't get the win, it's not the end of the world. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And I think I speak for everybody on this show, Sarah, when I say, you know, it, it feels like we're all just sort of measured taking this one week at a time, right? Like, how you feeling? Woo! I'm feeling good! Victory Monday! How about it? It feels good to be undefeated. It feels good to be looking down at the Green Bay Packers from atop the NFC North with a 1-0 record. How about it fits? R-E-L-A-X. No! Not gonna! You know, here's the thing. I would love to tell you to relax, but I also know that if somehow, some way. The Raiders, who played much better in the second half than they did in the first half, if they had mm-hmm. found a way to pull out that uh, win against the Chargers, I would be equally ecstatic. I can't blame you. I think uh, you know we'll get into this in a second, but the Bears upsetting the 49ers, uh, yeah. a shocking result for times. many. Uh, I, I was surprised by that. I wasn't surprised to see the Raiders beat by the Chargers, who you know I think are the second best team in the AFC. I was surprised to see Derek Carr not play very efficiently. I was surprised to see three interceptions for her offense that just looked out of sync, looked out of whack. But I thought it was about the outcome I expected. The Bears, on the other hand, were the exact opposite of the outcome I expected. That cost me a parlay that would have made me a substantial amount of money. But I am very happy for you. Thank you. I mean, to be honest, I am truly, genuinely measured. And I'm also aware that the Bears are not expected to do much. So every win, I'm going to enjoy. And it was a fun one because it was an absolute monsoon mess of a game. But to see Eberflus in his first game as a head coach get all the hugs, to see Justin Fields and the offense be like kids out there celebrating in a way that I'm very grateful has been embraced by all, including, you know, the NFL's new Twitter header and making all these like memes and, and videos. Like it was just really fun. And I don't know how many of those we're going to get. So I'm going to appreciate it in the moment while also acknowledging that this doesn't mean much. It was an absurd game that looked like they were playing in a swimming pool. There were still good things to take away from it, though. Well, in Justin Fields, whether or not he can be the future quarterback is the most important question you yep. guys have to answer in Chicago. So and anytime you see him go out and play incredibly well, or just very, not even incredibly well, just play well and look good in those moments, there's hope for the entire franchise. So I thought what we could do, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, is check in on a couple of the biggest stories from out the course from throughout the course of Sunday, and then we'll try and figure out if it's really something we saw coming or if it's a total surprise. And we'll start with the Cowboys. The Cowboys got absolutely thrashed uh, by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, That, to me, was a surprise. Is obviously on our show. I picked the Cowboys to win that game. Uh, But you also have the injury issue now. As Dak Prescott, according to uh, multiple reports, will need surgery on his right thumb out indefinitely, owner Jerry Jones said, after the 19-3 loss. Uh, This is what Dak had to say in his press conference afterwards about the injury and his mindset. In the game, just in the midst of it, Thought I jammed it. I mean, I've uh, hit my hand on helmets or bodies uh, a lot in my career um, and never really had anything, maybe a jammed finger here. And I actually thought that's what it was. Just the next play, realized I couldn't grip the ball, let the sideline know. Um, and then when I got off, yeah, I told the trainers the same thing. I was just like, I can't grip. I feel like if you yank it, I'll be okay. And no, came in, got x-rays, and things are different. Brutal. Ooh. I feel so bad for him. 
And listen, I don't want to say this following up some really heart-wrenching sound like this, but this is a saw it coming for me. As we're looking at week one, and of course the first game is not going to play out everything we expected, but so far the Cowboys not being very good is filled exactly uh, feels exactly the way we expected. And with him getting hurt, it's only going to get worse. This was a team that we were worried about the offensive line. We were worried about the weapons and the relationship. We were worried about the coaching. All of that is still in play, but it's all the more terrible with Dak being hurt. He was the one thing that we felt confident in. There were teams that have a much better roster that we said, yeah, but the Cowboys have the answer at quarterback, and now they won't. And later on in the show, we'll talk about what some of the answers might be, who they need to call. But for me, them getting off to a bad start, worse even than we could have imagined with the injury, that was a saw it coming. Yeah, well, and then you factor that in with the, the complication of uh, there's never any stability, at least in perception there. So the the concept that the coach is going to be, you know, Mike McCarthy's going to be judged by their performance this season and now won't have his starting mm. quarterback. I mean, it, it throws everything into chaos. There was a, a saw-it-coming result for me that I think surprised some people, and that was Minnesota blowing out Green Bay. And, and, and this is not so much about Green Bay. I think Green Bay will work out their issues and be fine. This is more about Minnesota, a team you know that I'm hot on this year, but a team that came out and looked much more prepared, and, and it looked like it had a much better identity offensively than they have in previous years. When you see them fire on all cylinders to that level, that was a little bit of a saw-it-coming for me because that's why I'm buying in on Minnesota. I know that Kirk Cousins will always be judged by that contract and people uh, have the concept that overpaid makes him overvalued but uh, or overrated, I should say. But at some point, you know, to me, he's still a quarterback that can play in the top half of the league. And when he has the right coaching, the right offensive play calling around him, there are too many weapons for the Vikings to, to not be very good. So that was one of my sort of saw it coming moments there. Yeah, I actually have the Packers doing much better. They were terrible in week one last year, too, and this would be even more expected with the injuries to Alan Lazard and the, the newbies and the wide receivers. But I think I think we actually have some sound from Aaron Rodgers after that game. I'm hurt and I'm old and I'm f***ing tired and I work with f***ing children. I'm so, uh, you know what? Actually, I'm sorry. That's CM Punk. We'll, we'll look for the actual, we'll look for the actual um, Aaron Rodgers sound. And thanks to CJ Zero for that one on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I expect better i think they've got a good offensive line the they'll piece together the wide receiver core there's still time for the packers to pull it together that was very interesting to watch some of the machinations from uh aaron Rodgers. though he looked to the bench after that watson drop and literally i believe said i told you so presumably to matt lafleur uh there was also almost a pick on this super easy flat route play romeo dobbs didn't block watson again he just stopped running on the play and that would have been Aaron Rodgers' first pick. It looked like it could have been a pick six uh, in NFC North playing like years, literally. So you could see the frustration from him and why. As for the Vikings, they looked really good. And you're right about Kirk Cousins. When he's on, he's great. The problem is when he has to read the field and make a play when it's unexpected to him, when the other team starts playing against him in a different way, things change. And that's going to come later in the season. And unless he can prove otherwise, uh, he's still the guy that, to me, is a great deep ball thrower and is not trustworthy when the picture, as they say, changes too much for him. So if we saw those games coming, Sarah, was there a game that really surprised you yesterday? Uh, yeah, I would say my, you know, if my saw it coming was the, was the Cowboys, uh, the surprise for me was the Bengals. 
and they have plenty of time. And we'll play some Dan Orlovsky sound later on that I agree with about, you know, expecting Joe Burrow to, to really start reading the field the way we expect him to. He was out with some injury or, you know, the the appendicitis or whatever. Um, but a pick six on the first play where he's staring him down and Minka Fitzpatrick has it read the whole way. The O-line that they spent the whole offseason just working on that, completely letting him down. I did not see the Bengals looking as bad as they did. And the fact is they almost pulled it out anyway, despite that. So I think it'll get better, but you never would have told me they would have looked that bad in this first game after their Super Bowl run. Yeah. Somebody made some money on the first score of the NFL season being a pick six. Uh, somebody yeah, somewhere absolutely. played that. Uh, there were a lot of surprising outcomes for me. You know, I think honorable mention goes to teams like the Giants for what they did to the yeah. Titans, but I was really pleasantly surprised by a Browns team that I had pretty low expectations for. I did not think that we would ever find ourselves saying, you left too much time on the clock, and that's exactly what they did is the Browns go down the field and score a game-winning field goal uh, as time is about to expire to get the win over the Panthers. It was a gutty performance. Uh, Nick Chubb went off. It was absolutely spectacular in that game. So a Browns team that I was pretty much ready to write off uh, given their quarterback situation actually uh, proved me wrong on that. We're going to break well, down and Cade all- York, by the way, real quick. I mean, they spent a lot of the offseason telling us how great Cade York was and why they decided to, you know, draft him so high. And then immediately week one, he goes off with a 58-yarder and proves him right. Yeah, 58-yarder that he made look effortless. I mean, that was good for them in that big win. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career you'll love with flexibility, great pay and benefits, and one of the country's top workplaces? Come join their growing team. Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Okay, we've got all sorts of action from Sunday to break down. Plus, we're going to help you try and figure out how to make some money tonight. We're going to recap some picks, get you, get you paid. I was almost perfect, by the way, almost. And if I had been Sarah, <laughs> I would have been. We'll explain all that to you next. Spain and Fitz That's on right. ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. You guys can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. And uh, you know what, Sarah? We, we, we got Monday Night Football tonight. And uh, let's start there because Monday Night Football tonight is going to give everybody the opportunity kickoffs in about an hour. So uh, everybody's trying to figure out what to do and, and how to gamble through it and, and uh, what the best plays are. There's an article out there on ESPN.com today on the chalk site that uh, I'm a little part of the panel. Everybody should check that out. And uh, also, Joe Fortenball, one of our favorites, uh, our buddy, uh, ESPN betting analyst, uh, we asked him to lay out some best bets for us. So here is what Fortenball thinks is the closest thing to a sure thing for Monday Night Football. Three picks I'm looking at for Monday Night Football. Number one, the side. If you can get Seattle plus the seven, I would play it. If not, I would pass. A lot of points in a game with a total of just 44. And for Denver, debuting a rookie head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator, there could be a learning curve on the road in one of the most hostile environments in the NFL. Bet number two, it's the total. It's actually a bonus bet as well. Under 44 points and under 21 points in the first half. Seattle likes to play slow. 56 plays per game last season, last in the NFL. Denver's defense should be able to get plenty of stops against an inexperienced Seahawks offensive line, not to mention quarterback Geno Smith, who's completing just 58% of his passes for his career. And then finally, my favorite bet of the evening, Broncos running back Javante Williams over 18 and a half receiving yards. This is what he averaged last year, but most importantly, no team in the NFL gave up more receptions and more receiving yards to opposing running backs last season 
than the Seahawks. Look for Russell Wilson to check it down early and often to Javante Williams, who goes over 18 and a half receiving yards. So those are Fortinbaugh's best bets, Sarah. But I think it's interesting because the the variable here of Russ taking on his own his old team is just such mm-hmm. an interesting part of this that I can't, I don't know how to factor that in. And I also feel like there's a human element of Geno Smith standing there looking at the guy he's replacing on the other sideline. There's got to be just an inherent Nerves. pressure that comes Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. This is one of those teams in the Broncos that I have so many questions, and I'm really anxious to see what it actually looks like out there. What does it look like with the new play callers, the new coaches? They've got a great running back duo. That's going to help. But Hackett and Russ, how much say does Russ have? How much is he going to be cooking? How is his chemistry? Um, you know, I feel like, you know, Ross and Judy, what is that? What is that going to be? So, um, I, I think this is going to answer a lot of questions. I know it's only week one, but those are some good, those are some good picks. I'm surprised you didn't ask me since I made $75 on my bears yesterday on the bears. Ooh, yeah. The bears cost me money and made you money. I don't know. Like I, 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 I'm not surprised you got it right. You just have to believe man. Usually they weren't all positive bets right. I put on them. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh, I, had, that, I, knew, yeah. I knew what to bet, which was the money line. And, you know, I actually lost on one of them that had them scoring less in the second half than they ended up scoring. But overall, still a plus 75 on the day. Well, that doesn't surprise me because, let's let's face it, you pick better than I do, which we were reminded of for the <laughs> ESPN Radio Pick'em Challenge, right? <laughs> uh, so for anyone that wasn't tuning in on Friday, shame on you. But what we're doing is across all the ESPN shows, uh, we get a slate of three games, and every show is picking the same three games against the spread. And we decided for our show that we just alternate weeks. So I got to pick the three games for week one that represented Spain and Fitz. The first game that I picked was Raiders uh, Chargers. Chargers were favored by three, and I picked the Chargers. Woohoo! Well Look done. at that. And I agreed with you. Yeah, well, I, I don't think this was a hot take. I was a little surprised, though. Uh, by Derek Carr not being better. And uh, that's something he talked about at his press conference there. He talked about maybe where he went wrong in his approach in this game. We played, uh, we did too, too many good things. I was way too aggressive. Um, I came in with a very aggressive mindset. And, uh, you know, especially with all the weapons we have and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that's on me. That, that's decisions, uh, being way too aggressive in certain moments. And, uh, and on the one to, the, to Tay in the end zone, he beat his guy. I went and threw it, and the guy just, as I threw it, fell off of the other I mean, that's that kind of crap is going to happen sometimes. Uh, but can make a better throw maybe, uh, try, try and be better go. there. That's what I, I was going to say. On that one, better throw. You underthrew him. The defender didn't do anything. You didn't hit him in stride, and you gave time for the defense to get under the ball. Yeah, I mean, Carr looked like he needed preseason reps. Like, I, I yep. know that that's mm-hmm. a – Hot take, but like uh, nobody Been a while wants to play their guys together but, in college. They needed uh, yeah. a little time. He had two under throws that were picked and a throw behind Hunter Renfro that was picked. It's yeah. just it wasn't a good day for him, and he missed a wide open touchdown to Darren Waller in the first half too. So it's just it was a bad game by Derek Carr. I'm going to believe that that normalizes and gets better over the course of the season. Uh, but uh, that's the reason for concern out of Week One. The offensive line wasn't particularly good. Derek Carr was not good at all. And uh, they still hung in there, though. But yeah. I, I was at least and some right. good stuff to see with Devontae Adams for sure. For yeah. a first game without preseason reps, um, honestly, Adams still outplayed all of Green Bay's wide receivers. Mm. Yeah. He had 141 yards. Green Bay's uh, entire wide receiver core had 120. Uh, just week one, 
but I did see some stuff between the two of them that I think you should be excited about. Uh, just timing and reps. And it was the Chargers. That's a real tough matchup for week one. Well, I started 1-0 uh, with these picks, and the winning continued for me when it comes to the next game because the next game on the docket was Chiefs-Cardinals. Chiefs were favored by six. I picked Kansas City, and what do you know? I was right. And I agreed with you. Uh, I so agreed far, with so that good. pick. So far, so good. Two for two. We both thought that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs would be fine. I still have them winning the division. You do not. Uh, but, man, Mahomes 30 for 39 with 360 pass yards, five touchdowns, and it sure looks like Travis Kelsey is going to be the new security blanket. Eight receptions, 121 yards, and they did a ton of different looks. I mean, they really mixed things up, and they're going to have to look across and guess at what the defense is going to give them now that they won't be keying in on Tyreek, and they're also going to be giving defenses fits, trying to figure out which of the many weapons he has he's going to. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cardinals didn't look ready to play at all. And the, what surprised me wasn't just that the Chiefs jumped out on them. I mean, that happened in several games. Usually we saw teams start to claw their way back as they got their feet under them. That did not happen in this game. The Chiefs continually just stepped on the throat of the Cardinals throughout the entire process. So not only were they clearly the better team, I think they were out to show the world their offense was going to be just fine. And it was, and so was their defense. You're, you're a thousand percent right, too. Patrick Mahomes were almost bored with how great he was. Which brings me to the last game that we had to pick of the three. And only one show, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, went undefeated because the rest of us missed one game along the way. This us. was the game I missed. Bucks cowboys uh, The Cowboys were favored by two and a half, and I picked the Cowboys. And if you recall, I disagreed. So were I to have been listened to, we would also be 3-0. and you're right. Uh, you know, uh, let's. I didn't. I didn't see the injury. I can't even blame the injury. Uh -huh. I got nothing. The they Cowboys were playing look, trash before the injury. Uh, I mean, that, that's that's fact right there. The Cowboys' offense just. I, I talk a lot about identity right now. I felt like I had no idea what the Cowboys were trying to accomplish on offense. I feel like this is just the first ding you're going to get for your incredibly hot take of saying that Brady's done and the Bucks aren't going to be good. Oh well, the Bucks get used just to beat. It. The, the Bucks just beat a trash team. I'm not going to give them oh, any credit that you yet. Bet Come on. on. That you thought uh, would cover. I mean, I was only wrong on that part. Whatever uh -huh. I got to tell myself. Uh -huh. What are the Cowboys' options now that <laughs> Dak will be sidelined for considerable amounts of time? We'll ask an expert next. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Dak Prescott. This is one of the best players in the league. Got hit into the lake, the helmet or the hand of Shaq Barrett. He's out of the game. And all of a sudden, now you're going to take him away? Yes, he has an injury above his joint and his thumb up here. And I wouldn't give up a second or a third round pick for someone like Jimmy G or Tyler Huntley because I think right now it's really hard for them to control the line of scrimmage. 105.3 The Fan with the credit there as you hear about Dak Prescott six to eight weeks out. A bummer for him. I'm trying to find a bright side, and the only one is that potentially uh, he could watch the Emmys tonight instead of having to oh. grind tape. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's into the red carpet. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. He might be watching Monday Night Football. We'll get to our preview of tonight's game a little bit later in the show. But let's talk some of the biggest news of the NFL after this weekend. ESPN senior NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler joining us now. Let's start with the DAC news, Jeremy. The Cowboys already had a lot of question marks. Now what's the plan at quarterback and who could they consider bringing in? 
Yes, yeah, Sarah, the options are pretty limited because if you tr- go try to get a Jimmy Garoppolo or even a Mason Rudolph from Pittsburgh, you know, it's going to cost you a draft pick that they probably don't want to give up for a short-term fix. But the free agency options are pretty scarce. Um, you know, this week I'm hearing that they will start Cooper Cup. I mean, that, that's loosely the plan right now. Uh, they'll elevate Will Greer from the practice squad. Those are not great long-term solutions, but they can get them through this week and they can figure it out. Um, you know, I expect them to sort of scour the earth. They'll look at all potential options here uh you know rudolph in pittsburgh does make sense because he's the odd man out there because uh, they have kenny pickett and mitchell trubisky so maybe there's like a player for player swap they can do to help both parties what does this do to the pressure overall on mike mccarthy well it really depends on your perspective i think it could actually help him in some cases because you know now the expectations are pretty low right which is rare in dallas um he really wasn't blessed with uh, you know, a well-equipped roster in relation to last year when, when there really were no excuses. That was a team that was ready to win. And so, but it's still Dallas, and a losing season wouldn't be tolerated. That'd be two losing seasons in three years if that happened. Probably would be tough to overcome. But, you know, they, they do like McCarthy there. They're not plotting for his demise over there, and they, you know, they want to see him succeed. So they'll give him some time and see how, yeah, I think, I think how he handles the situation will go a long way beyond just the wins and losses. ESPN senior NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler with us here on Spain and Fitz at J Fowler ESPN is where you can follow him on Twitter. Another injury, TJ Watt with that peck. How long are the Steelers expecting to be without him? Well, I've been checking on that tonight. I'm told they, they still don't have a firm answer because he's getting second opinions and uh, they're kind of trying to figure out the exact severity, not only uh, whether it's torn, which it, you know, it seems to be, but like, can he, could he play through it or does he have to get it surgically repaired? That, that, to my understanding, has not been determined yet. And uh, they feel like if there's one guy who could play through this, it's probably him. Uh, so, you know, they're holding out hope. But uh, I think tomorrow there probably, will, probably will be more clarity on this. Jeremy, uh, we're also looking for clarity on Mac Jones' uh, back injury for the, uh, for the Patriots quarterback. Any idea what the extent is there? Yeah, so they feel like they dodged a bullet there. You know, I, I talked to somebody over there who was pretty relieved that they said it sounds like it's not going to be serious. You know, it's just a little bit of back pain from a hit he took. And um, if rest is going to be the key here. So if he rests and it's still a problem on, say, Friday, then they could sit him. So it's not a slam dunk that he plays, but the signs are pretty favorable for him getting him back in the lineup this week. Jeremy, outside of injury, we saw Lamar Jackson do exactly what he would want to do as he spurns the Ravens' offers. What we're hearing, $250 million extension that he declined because he wants a fully guaranteed deal, looking obviously over at Deshaun Watson. Any idea how close those two sides were? And as much as they've said talks are done, do you think there's a chance they might get going again midseason? So there's always a chance because the Ravens have actually done some pretty big deals for first-round picks in season, like Marlon Humphrey and uh, Ronnie Stanley, the left tackle. So there is some precedent there, but they was never really close. That was my understanding. In fact, you know, Lamar was telling people two weeks ago that he was playing out his rookie deal. So uh, there just was never really momentum here. And despite, you know, the, the deal looking huge on paper, $250 million, um, you know, the, the gap in the guarantees is still going to be pretty big, no matter how they structured it. You know, Ravens do deals at like 50 to 60% guaranteed, and he wanted the whole 100. So the Deshaun Watson deal clearly uh, complicated matters from the very beginning.
Jeremy, what changes that then? I mean, like, if that's where they fundamentally stand. Nothing. Nothing changes it. Um, it I just, I've been saying for a while now that this is a two-year standoff, right? It's this year, and it's a franchise tag next year. Exclusive franchise tag would be somewhere in the 40s, $40 million for 2023. So that, that's where we're at. It's a standoff of $60-plus million over the next two years. Um you know, it, it's similar to Joe Flacco years ago where they didn't give him the deal he wanted and he went and won a Super Bowl and they had to give him whatever he wanted <laughs> after that. So that might just happen, you know, like he's Well, that's what we were wondering. And... That's what we were wondering, Jeremy. What's the end game? Because if he's so amazing and they win, great, pay him a lot. If he's yeah. not that amazing, what's their plan? Really say goodbye to him? Well, I think their plan is, okay, we have – this year, and we could do two franchise tags. That's seven years in total of Lamar. And uh, for his, you know, for as great as he is, his style of play, um, you know, could lend to more injury. You know, just it's it, just the reality of the situation. Now, maybe he can overcome that. He seems to know how to avoid hits. Um, but the calculation is okay. Worst case, we got him for seven years, uh, right. and and it was a great it was a great run, knowing that okay, mm. we'll make the calculation that maybe he won't last. That, that's sort of they won't say that, but that's sort of the cold uh, calculation that, that really any of these teams would make. I mean, I've talked to a lot of teams about Lamar, and that's sort of the feeling, right? Like he's great. Um, there's some limitations, and so maybe he can overcome those this year. And uh, and I, I can't say put it all together because he's won an MVP. He's obviously put it all together, um, you know. But there are just some teams that are that are, are still skeptical that you know late in the year. You know, can his style of play hold up with the running, and then can he throw consistently outside for the outside receivers? I think those are questions people still have, and and he looks ready to answer those. Uh, you tweeted, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson debate should rage on all year if today's any indication. Questions I have right now: Who's better in your mind, Chase or Jefferson? I would say Chase. Um, I would go. That's just kind of you know when I, I do like some summer projects where I rank players and. Most people around the league uh, have Chase higher. Just they feel like he's faster, so you know he can get deep easier. Uh, or Jefferson, for as great as he is, he doesn't have that gear. Um, but he's so relentless, you know, and, and such a good route runner. He just keeps getting open. So maybe he'll be more productive. Certainly, that's a possibility. Um, I so guess it'll you be haven't close. been talking to Michael I, I would, Irvin. I would What's that? I guess you haven't been talking to Michael Irvin because he's got JJ breaking all the records and making Kirk Cousin his MVP. Get on board. Come on, Jeremy. I know. It's looking that way right now. I mean, one one week overreaction. There you go. Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl and Cousin is going to win the MVP. And (laughs) Justin Jefferson will have 13,000 yards. What could go wrong? Hey, Jeremy, ESPN Senior NFL Report, before we let you go, give us another takeaway from yesterday. It could be an overreaction or it could be something that you actually think is going to tell the story of what's to come. Well, I thought the uh, Saquon Barkley story was awesome. I mean, this is a guy that yes. you can't help but be happy for. I mean, he's supremely talented and it just hasn't gone his way. Um, but you saw like what you sort of remembered out of him. And, you know, running backs kind of get punished. Oh, you can't take a running back that high in the draft. And what were the Giants thinking? And, you know, he, he carried them to a victory yesterday. So I'm, I'm curious to see if he can keep it up. Yeah, it was a it was a good time for me who uh, didn't draft any of my own fantasy teams because I was in Europe and came home to Saquon yeah. Barkley. No. And then like, oh, all right. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll take it. Pleasant surprise. Um, yeah, exactly. Master hey, Jeremy. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, if I win all of my leagues, I'm never drafting for myself again. And I'm certainly not going to be <laughs> saying that I didn't draft come uh, uh, bragging time. I'm going to say it was all me. Uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for the time. No Enjoy the game tonight and appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Jason. See you guys. You can follow him at Jay Fowler ESPN. He's always on top of the biggest news. You can always follow us and hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility and great pay and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Bundle today at Progressive.com. Coming up, we'll fill you in with the best of the rest from the weekend in sports. It's Quickies next. Quickies, Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, you sickos, we're going to get back to the NFL, I promise. And trust me, it's going to be hard for us to step away, even momentarily, after a week one Sunday slate like that. And with Monday night football, Russ going back to Seattle ahead of us. But there was other stuff that happened in the sports world, and we got to touch on it the way we like to. So it's Spain and Fitz here. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Lots to do, not a lot of time means quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Speaking of fast, Scott Frost's tenure with Nebraska. (laughs) Yeah, the old Sunday NFL news dump, right? When everybody's settling in, watching all of their games, let's just slide in the announcement that Nebraska fired Scott Frost. They lost to Georgia Southern. The athletic director, Trev Alberts, made the move just three weeks before his $15 million contract buyout would have been cut in half. Some of the worst-run businesses in America are colleges with good football programs. They do not care about buyouts. They do not care about dead money. The boosters will pick it up, right, Fitz? I mean, it that's an alarming check. They Gross. were so unhappy with his work that they decided rather than wait three weeks and save seven and a half million dollars, they're just gonna write it off and get him out of the building right now. And that's look, I, I Scott Frost has not done a good enough job. Will this move make Nebraska better this year? I doubt it. I mean, I, I don't have some great feel that Nebraska is about to go on a run, right? So uh, I, this is all about trying to get ahead of bringing in another coach, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yep. also, I don't see why you need that timing right now. So I, I understand the move, and Scott Frost certainly was about to get fired. I just think the timing of it is, at the very least, just dumb. 16-31, and 31, three games into his fifth season Assistant head coach, uh, sorry, associate head coach Mikey Joseph named the interim coach for the rest of the season. To your point, I don't know if that makes them better, but maybe it gets the boosters off the back of the AD, gives them time to get first dibs on another coach, and just gets the train directed in a, a different way. But man, if you add up all the money that these colleges eat in coaches that they have to pay exorbitant money to get and turn out to not be good, oof, it's painful. It really is. All right, next story. Quickies. Here is Heidemann. Ten seconds left in game one. Heidemann finds Bonner. Bonner looking for space. Leans in. Can it to three. That will do it. The Las Vegas Aces take game one. Yeah, this was a shocking start where a lot of people think the Aces are going to be the uh, absolute favorites, potentially doing away with Connecticut quickly. And it was close at the half they started off very poorly 
but they ended up figuring it out. 67-64 win over Connecticut. So the Aces take a 1-0 lead in the WNBA Finals. Uh, Asia Wilson, what can you even say? MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. She had 24 points, 11 boards, 4 block shots. And Chelsea Gray, who I'm going to keep calling Chelsea Dagger, 21 points, 3 assists, some huge plays. So your Aces had to work a little harder than expected, but they got it done. Yeah, but, you know, I keep thinking about a Connecticut team that managed to make Chicago look ugly at times, right? And so, as I saw that first half, it just felt like that's what we were seeing again. You never know with this Aces team, once they they get hot shooting the ball, they're virtually unstoppable. But it just was so out of rhythm in the first half. I left that first half wondering if it was a combination of the sun uh, and a combination of the environment and the atmosphere. A lot of pressure on this Aces team to go out and win. That crowd was mammoth again. Mm -hmm. The expectations are huge again. It felt like they were tight and it was ugly. And then in the second half, it it was the Aces that we're used to seeing. So I'll be interested to see if they can carry that momentum because Connecticut has a way to make everything look difficult. But once the Aces got on fire, they, they were unstoppable. They are the better basketball team. They should win the WNBA championship. I have to give respect to the Sun. I don't want to because I'm a bitter Billy, but they have done a lot better than many give them credit for, and they made the Aces work for it. Also, by the way, you mentioned that crowd. A new attendance record for the Aces, 10,135. The building was wild. Holly Rowe took a decibel meter reading of the crowd. It peaked at 108 plus. She said Ohio State football last week with 90,000 people peaked at 104. Now, there's a roof on the building. It's everybody packed on top of each other. But you still got 10,000 people out louding 90,000. So uh, pretty incredible. All right, next story. Quickies. The young deals. Pujol swings and lifts a high fly ball. That's it deep. Center field. It might go. It's a gunner. It's a gunner for Pujols. He gives the Cardinals the lead in the ninth inning with home run six, nine, seven, all alone in fourth place in Major League Baseball history. We're just stacking stories on stories where I have to be a mature professional and not let my inner hatred spill over (laughs) Cardinals. Gosh darn it. Respect to Albert Pujols, 697th home run that moves him past Alex Rodriguez for fourth place on the all-time MLB list. It was a two-run drive in the ninth, putting the Cardinals ahead 3-2. He also homered Saturday night, so now he trails only Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, and Babe Ruth. That's pretty darn good, especially for a 42-year-old who's you know playing in his last season and still cranking him. Yeah, I think that's the biggest part of it. Uh, just the age and then the the pace that he's hitting at this year was really unexpected, right? So we're seeing this resurgence as he, he knows he's one foot out the door. It just seems to be that he's found this rhythm right now that is unstoppable. Like I, I asked Carl Ravitz the other day, I was like, is he going to get to 700? And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it at all. And I don't know that we would have said that six or seven months ago. So, you know, I think this speaks to just he's on fire right now and there's something special going on. And th- these are the moments that baseball gets casual fans like me incredibly invested because of what we're seeing. And I would say when he announced he was going back to the Cardinals or I guess when they announced they were bringing him back, I kind of rolled my eyes at, all right, we're bringing back the old guy. What's he going to do there? This is kind of silly. But now as he's getting these really incredible career moments in a Cardinals uniform, it's pretty special. It's it's pretty special to be able to do it and to contribute at this point. So I guess I was wrong for once. All right, it's Quickies. Next story. Quickies. All right, let's react 
to some of the games of the weekend in college football. I'm laughing because I feel like I jinxed Notre Dame fits. I asked our guest on Friday, what's more likely that Notre Dame blows it to Marshall or LSU eats it against Southern? And uh, of course the answer was uh, Marshall's a much better football team and deserves more respect than Southern, but also like that Notre Dame might have a little trouble with them and sure did they. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it's still a stunning result. By the way, Marshall head coach Charles Huff uh, will join Freddie and Fitzsimmons at 8.30 p.m. tonight, uh, Eastern oh, nice. time. Uh, Want to check that out. But, yeah, uh, Marcus Freeman, the head coach of Notre Dame, is now 0-3 when you count the uh, bowl game that he also lost. No Notre Dame head coach has ever started 0-3. So even though he looks like a supermodel when he walks in the room mm-hmm. and seems like the coolest guy you'll ever meet, He's got to figure out a way to get his quarterbacks playing competent offense. They were not, uh, and and it was it wasn't just that they lost to Marshall. It's that Marshall was clearly the better team on the field. That I think was stunning to me. Uh, Notre Dame did not look like they have any clue what they're doing offensively. And now I'm sitting here saying all this credit we were given Ohio State a couple of weeks ago for being able to shut down this Notre Dame offense. Maybe Ohio State fixed their defense. I, now we maybe we were overreacting. Like maybe we should see a little bit more before we presume that you know this offense was really worth uh, shutting down in the first place. I saw Mike Golick Jr. tweeting about it, and maybe he's just trying to make himself feel better. But he did say that ex- expectations for Notre Dame every year are not necessarily realistic, and maybe this is just an earlier step back than they expected. But the step back was to come. Um, I hope for Marcus Freeman that he gets some patience to get a little time in there. None of these are his recruits, and it's hard to judge yet. Uh, anything else from the college football weekend that stood out to you? Obviously, Appalachian State, the celebration was uh, dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Texas A&M's going to have to start winning football games. Last time I checked, Jimbo is not a head recruiter. He's a head coach. He's got to start getting those recruits to play at the highest possible level. Also, quickly, Georgia is clearly the best team in the country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Georgia reclaiming number one from Alabama. Notre Dame is out after 80 straight appearances there. Uh, wow. It's going to be a fun season for that. Monday Night Football is going to be fun, too. Seahawks Broncos starting in 20 minutes. We got you covered next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.